with Galatians chapter 1, um, beginning in verse 11. This is uh, the word of the Lord. For I have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born, and he, and, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, whose also name was Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James and the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I did not lie. I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God because of me. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, this is your word, and I thank you for the biography and the life of the Apostle Paul and the example that he still sets out for us 2,000 years later. I just pray, Father, as we unpack this passage, that you would give us insight and clarity and help us to see, Lord, how our lives are similar to his. But in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so isn't kind of um, it fun at times to meet new people? Um, I, I remember I was in the third grade, and anytime a new, I was kind of from a small town, so when a new kid came to class, it was kind of a big deal. Now you guys live in, I don't know, maybe a bigger city than I grew up, so you might get more people coming and going in your classrooms, uh, maybe it's a little bit more transient, but maybe not. But I remember... Um, one particular example, when I was in the third grade and a new kid came and he actually like moved in my neighborhood, like just right down the street. So the first day of school, my teacher said, hey, Aaron, can you take Lewis and show him around the school and the playground and all this stuff? And, uh, that was always kind of like a, an honor to be able to do that with a new kid because you get to kind of be like, well, I got to hang out with the new kid today. You know, I can remember when I first became the youth pastor here. Um, this maybe lasted just for like a couple of weeks, but um, it was fun and exciting to see the new person, to, ha- to have conversations with the new youth pastor. And I once heard someone say, well, well, I got to go to coffee with Aaron. Like, he was a big deal. I thought that was the funniest thing in the world because now people are like, do I have to go with you? I don't really want to. But anyways, when I was new, it was kind of like this novelty, right? But I remember um, meeting my friend Lewis and asking him, where are you from? Do you have any siblings? What do you like to do? Yeah, like, what does your dad do for his work? Like, what, what made him move here? Ask him all these questions. And it's something about learning people who they actually are. Like, I remember when I was talking with Isaiah once, like, he's from... Idaho, and why they moved over here, and all the sisters that he has, and all these different things. I could, you know, mention 
his sisters too, but I just remember particularly talking to Isaiah. And something about learning someone's biography or guess their context helps us to really understand who they are, what's happening. And so you guys want to know something? In a way, what we get here is Paul's testimony. We get his background, we get his context, we get to understand the Apostle Paul, right? So who knows, like in, the, in the New Testament, there's all those books that end with Ian, right? So when I was a kid, I was kind of like, uh, they would say, turn your Bibles to Philippians. I just knew that I had to find one of those Ian books and then either like add a couple of pages or go back a couple of pages, right? So you have like Galatians, right? You have one of those Ian books. You have First and Second Corinthians, Ian's, you know, Colossians, Ephesians. Like you have you know, a lot of those, right? So all of those books, guess who wrote them? Paul. So the book of Romans, guess who wrote that? Paul. The book of Philemon, really short, guess who wrote that? Paul. And although they don't really know, the book of Hebrews, probably connection between Barnabas and Paul writing that book, although they don't really know for sure. So here's the thing. We have the guy who has written more books in the New Testament than anyone else, who's a key figure in the New Testament. And here we get his story. We get his context. And you want to know what this whole, I mean, you guys kind of read that, and I hope maybe you even thought, like as I thought it when I first read it, like, man, what's he going to preach about this, right? Because it's just like, how do you preach his story? And then I went to this place, and I went back to this place, and I would have you know, brothers, that I'm not lying, but then I went to this place, and da-da-da-da-da. It's like, okay, this is the part when we read in our Bibles, we kind of just like zoom through it, right? It's like, it's just a bunch of boring details. But let me tell you what I think this passage is really about. You ready? The main point of this section of Galatians 1. That when you receive the gospel, it changes you. Listen. When you actually put your trust in Jesus, it changes who you are. It changes who you are. You once were this person. You once did these things. You once believed these things. And you know what? When you become a Christian and you actually trust in Christ, you're different. You change. It transforms you. And so here, here's just the, here's like one point of application. They're on the front, right? Has the gospel changed you? Has it transformed you into a different person? Can you see in any concrete and specific ways in which I used to think this, I used to act like this, I used to be this person, but now, because of Jesus, I am this. As a sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth grader, a high schooler, whatever, can you see concrete ways in which Jesus has changed your life? And although the story that we have from Paul, his context, is a lot of this and that, it is really important for us to understand because he was someone, as it said, who used to want to kill Christians. The last verse we read said that, you know, they were hearing that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So let's go ahead and see what, what can we kind of glean from this passage. So starting in verse 11... 
He says this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Now, I, I have to try to just remind us of, I mean, and maybe you weren't even here when we did the first two sections of the gospel, but Paul, he is dealing with people. So um, Paul started this church in Galatia, right? He, he was a church planter, and he told them the gospel. He said, hey, listen, Jesus is for everyone. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You don't have to lift one pinky in order to accept this free gift of salvation. You just got to believe. You just have to trust. But here's the issue. Imagine if I came here, planted a church in Olympia, Washington, told everyone the great news. They're like, oh, man, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I wanted. I don't want to just try to, like, climb the ranks of religion. I, I want to rest in Jesus. And you accept it and you believe it. But then I leave to go plant another church and someone comes in. They say, well, listen, that's good and all. Jesus is, yeah, we, we want to worship Jesus. But really, if you want to be a good Christian you got to read your Bible. Like, if you don't read your Bible, you can't go to heaven. So you're like, oh, man, I better read my Bible every day. And on top of that, they say, you know, if you really want to go to heaven, you wouldn't wear a hoodie in church. You'd only wear a tie, and you would tuck in your shirt. So let me be clear. If you want to be a good Christian, you got to dress like how I dress. And you got to read your Bible. And also, you know how those Christians, like those people over there, they, they go to the movies and they play with cards? If, if you want to be a good Christian and please God and go to heaven one day, you won't play with cards. You won't go to the movies. So that, that's a very, I guess, modern example. And you think, like, not go to the movies? What? Like, Star Wars is coming in a few months, right? Like, you better believe I'll be there in the movie theater watching Star Wars. But can, I, can, I, can I tell you something? Less than 50 years ago, Christians told other Christians that if you went to the movies or played with playing cards, that you were sinning. We do this, we do this still in small ways. We say, listen, Jesus is really great, but if you really want to be great in God's eyes, you'll do these things. And this is why Paul, he's so mad. He's just like, look at verse 6 for me, a little, a little context. He says, I am astonished, like I am perplexed, I am confused, why? That you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And I love verse 7, not not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Listen, in essence, what Paul is confronting here is a Judaism type of Christianity, where he'd go to Gentiles, people who didn't know anything about God or the, the law of Moses, didn't know anything about the Bible, but they hear this gospel. And then Jews from Jerusalem said, hey, we're going to go and correct Paul's work. We're going to go to his church plant and say, hey, listen, if you really want to be a Christian, go get circumcised. And this is why Paul writes the letter. And so Paul, in giving his context, is trying to show, hey, listen, if I've given up Judaism... And I was the best at Judaism. I was the best at my religion. But I gave it up. Why aren't these people giving it up? That's what he's trying to communicate to them. So when he says in verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. This is what he's trying to do. He's trying to give credibility to what he's about to say in the next coming chapters. All right? So if I can just help you understand the Bible a little bit better here, here's what I want to say. If I'm going to tell you, hey, listen, what I'm about to say is the most important thing you'll ever hear, 
Like, what if every single person you met in life said those words? What I'm about to tell you is the most important thing that you'll ever hear in your entire life. How would you know who to believe? Right? Could it be true that everything that you hear is the most important thing that you'll ever hear in your life? Yes or no? No. In fact, 99% of it is wrong, and only one thing can be the most important thing in your life that you ever hear. So how do you begin to engage and decipher who's right or wrong? You kind of look at whether or not you can trust that person. You kind of listen to their logic. You kind of see whether or not what they're saying is accurate, and you kind of agree with And so what Paul, what he'll do in chapters 2, 3, and 4 is explain the gospel clearly. And the gospel is pretty much this. He'll say that you are declared righteous by God simply because of what Jesus has done and resting in Jesus. Not by coming to church, not by reading your Bible, not by dressing a certain way. You can wear a hoodie in church. Jesus doesn't care about that. But before he can say those words, do you know what he has to do? He has to give authority. He has to say, no, listen, I'm not making this crap up in essence. Like, that's what, in essence, verse 11, that if you want a good summary, hey, yo, listen, I'm not making this crap up. He's saying, I, when I came to you and I preached the gospel, it wasn't something that I just heard from my, my former teacher in life. Like, I'm not just saying, like, I heard this once in a good book or I, I turned on a YouTube video and I saw this and I just came and I preached to you. No, 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 no. The gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. So whose could it be? Verse 12. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's the good news, guys. This gospel that I preach to you even now, it isn't from me. It's not from Pastor Carl. It's not from your parents. It's not from Francis Chan. It's, it's not from, it's from God. And so you guys want to know something? If the gospel, the good news, came from any man, we'd be tempted to give the credit and the glory to that man. But listen, the very fact that Jesus had to leave heaven and come to earth tells us this one thing, that the good news as Christians that we believe is not man's news, but God's. The message of God loving you and forgiving your sins through Jesus is a message that does not, it was not invented. It was a message that we received from God himself. And so Paul, listen, he says, listen, the reason why when I tell you that this is the most important thing that you'll ever hear in life, is not because some really great guy told me. It is because God himself has given us this message. So if you're debating whether or not to believe this guy or this guy, and this guy just says, well, this is what I've always done my entire life, and the guy before me did this, and the guy before me did this, you'd be like, okay, that's some good stuff. But the other guy says, listen, you can believe me because this is a man's message. God himself came from heaven to earth to tell us these things. This is why you believe it. Who cares what that freaking average Joe schmuck over there said? You have man's word compared to God's word. Who would you choose? So Paul, look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently 
and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So Judaism. Do you guys know a little bit about what Judaism told people to do? What were some of like the laws that Jews had to follow in order to be a good Jew? Think of, yeah, go for it. Yeah, they, they had to rest on the Sabbath, right? And so the Sabbath for them was actually Saturday, but yeah, absolutely. So you had to rest on the Sabbath. They couldn't eat pork. They couldn't eat bacon. I don't want to be Jew, right? I don't want to be Jewish. Anything else? Yes. They had to, males had to be circumcised. And so if you're a baby, you don't remember it, but man, imagine if you're like some Gentile and you become a convert to Judaism. They're like, 30-year-old dude. Yo, man, you got to be circumcised. Ow. Right? Ow. Anything else? Yeah, they had all these uh, cleansing ceremonial laws they had to do. I mean, more than just eat pork, and they couldn't eat pork, they had a lot of food laws. And so you know what Paul's saying? Say, listen, if you want to, like, in my high school class, there's 323 of us graduated. I graduated, like, 43. This really isn't that good. So, but like, imagine Paul's like, yo, out of a class of 10,000 kids, I was number one. I was the best in my religion. He talks about this more in Philippians 3. He's like, I was the most zealous of all my people my age towards, my, towards the faith of my fathers, towards Judaism. That's what Paul's trying to say. If I'm willing to give that up, the person who's the most passionate about Judaism... Why are these Judaizers, these people who are trying to convince you to do in Christ plus Judaism, not giving it up? Like, so, try to take the opinion of someone who has been full-fledged Jew, who's rejected it, to someone who's a good Jew, but hasn't fully rejected it. Paul is kind of like saying, yo, I got one up on them. And if I can give it up, they should be too. So don't listen to these people. Right? So here's my favorite part of this passage, okay? So look at verse 15. So Paul was talking about, I was advancing in Judaism, I was, I was awesome in my faith, but, right? So we get a contrast here. Paul's saying, but listen, here's what I really want to tell you. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I may preach him among the Gentiles. Listen, did you know that if you are a Christian and you're resting in Christ, that before the foundations of the world were even made, hey, Faith, you doing okay there? Okay. Before the foundations of the world were made, God had called you. God knew you. That he had set you apart. Listen, some of your parents, when they were kids, when they were your age, they didn't know who they were going to marry. They didn't know whether they were going to have boys or girls. They didn't know what their kids would look like. They might have imagined it, like as you do. You might imagine maybe having a family one day and what that's like. And then maybe when they do get married or they, they, they have a relationship with someone and begin to have a baby, you sit there and you wonder what this kid's going to be like. 
all four of my daughters, I, just, I would wonder, I wonder what they'll do with their, their lives. What, what, what kind of career will they have? Will they be extroverted or introverted? Will they be funny or more serious? Will, will they like TV or books more? Will they like golf, hopefully? I see, I, I, I still, I look at my child, my children, and I still wonder what they're going to be like because they're so young. Because you guys ready for this? Before you were even a, before America was even a speck on the, the map, before the world was even laid, before God even spoke creation to being, are you ready for this? He knew you, he called you, he set you apart. And more than that, guess what? He was pleased to reveal his son to you. God loves you. He loves you. And you know what? Like, I could tell you I love you all day long, and maybe I can even back that up by saying, here, I, I even got you cupcakes to show my love for you. I can maybe do that. But God, but God is screaming his love at you by saying, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Jesus, God loves you by pointing you to Jesus. And so Paul here says, God was pleased to reveal this unto me in order that I may preach to the Gentiles. And he goes on to say, I did not immediately consult with, with anyone. So can I be honest with you for a second? We don't meet Jesus the same way that Paul met Jesus. If you remember Paul's story, he was riding a horse to Damascus to go kill Christians. And on that road, Jesus appeared to him in a vision. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who the heck are you? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I became blind. Okay? That's, that's, that was Saul's story. Now, if you go back and take a horse on Damascus, guess what? You won't find Jesus there. You won't have some big vision and appearing, you know, some glorious Savior before your eyes. But you want to know something? We do meet Jesus in the same way. The same way that Paul did. That God reveals his son to us. And when he reveals his son, this is what he's revealing. That from eternity's past, you were loved and you were known and you were called. And that despite your sin, that even, even though sometimes you may not think you're just a good person, that we are all sinners by nature, God still loved you. And that because the situation was hopeless, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, left heaven's glory in order that you may die for your sins. And offer to you the forgiveness of sins. See, we become Christians the same exact way the Apostle Paul did. By grace. By grace. Listen, can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? You'll never talk about grace the way that I'm talking about it now. You'll never feel like what I'm saying is exciting or real or interesting until this one thing happens. You realize how bad you are. Now, what are you going to say? Make you feel uncomfortable? Until you realize how hard it is for you to actually turn to God, you will never see what Christ has done for you and rejoice in this gospel, rejoice in this grace. And so, do you want to know something? Paul realized. Paul had blood on his hands, figuratively and literally. Paul had seen his own sin. And you know what happens? He rejoices in this, and, and he changes his life. And so listen, he wants to clarify more of like why they should listen to him. So he's saying, like, when I became a Christian, 
It's not like I became a Christian and I walked straight up to the apostles in Jerusalem, like the eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, you know, his disciples, and say, okay, man, I had this crazy vision. Jesus is doing a great work in my life. Just, just hit me with what I need to know. Because if he did that, in essence, what these Judaizers would say, is like, well, you know, Paul just, he just received what everyone else tells him. And this is why you can't really believe in him. No. What would happen to him? Nor did I, verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again in Damascus. Then after three years, okay, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, okay? Now, three years after a vision of seeing the resurrected Jesus and going blind for a little bit, okay, he still doesn't really have any contact with anyone who's like kind of like the forefather of the church, like Peter. But he's like, after three years, I, I visited Jerusalem and I saw Peter. All right, you guys, we know Peter, right? Denied Jesus three times for the rooster crowed. He was like, Peter on this rock, I will build my church on you. You know, Peter is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so he's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go visit this, this Cephas, this Peter, for 15 days. Let me ask you a question. If someone's going to accuse you that you are just, you just say everything that Peter says. And you're just like a mini, miniature Peter. Can you really become a miniature so-and-so in 15 days? Is spending 15 days with someone meaning that, that you're going to be just like them and, and, say, and, and learn their mannerisms and learn exactly everything they think and do and say? So Paul, Paul is kind of saying, like, listen, if you wanted to say I'm just like a miniature Peter, that I don't really have my own gospel, that I'm just making this crap up, like I was a Christian for three years, and then I finally visited Peter, and it was for 15 days. Not a lot of time to really get anything done. So he goes on. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And when I'm writing to you before God, I did not lie. So Paul is trying to, he's trying to distance himself, saying, listen, I am not making this up. This gospel that I received as a direct revelation from Jesus Christ, it has changed my life. Don't be tempted to believe these other people. And matter, matter of fact, Paul is so mad at these other people who are trying to convince his, his former church plant that he actually says in, ver, in chapter 5, I wish that these people would emasculate themselves. Right? So, you know, they're telling, like these Judaizers are telling these people to get circumcised. Well, I'm telling them to go just cut it all off. That's how, that's how mad and furious Paul is trying to get. So, one more thing. Here we go. Verse 22. And I was still no, unknown in person to the churches of Judea, which is the area all around Jerusalem and Israel, that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Okay. So, two more thoughts. One. If this passage means anything, let it mean this. That there has to be some credibility to the gospel message. Listen, as a Christian pastor, I'm calling and asking as many people, I'm asking you to give your life for Jesus. Don't live for yourself. Live it, like be like Paul. 
who when Christ called him, and didn't just save him, he asked him to be his servant. God is not just calling you to say, hey, say this little prayer in VBS or Sunday school or, or maybe with your parents. And then you kind of, so you got heaven checked off the list, and let's go live your great life. It's so much more than that. It's so much, it's like, it's not even that really. It's to live a life now in which we glorify God and we enjoy Him and we serve Him. And listen, I am calling every single one of you, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, whatever, you, whatever grade you are, to live your life for Christ, to give it fully to Him, to surrender every thought, action, deed, word, friendship, everything to Jesus. But listen, I, I can't call you to do that if there isn't some credibility to that, right? Well, this is why we have God's word. So Paul is saying the same thing here. He's saying, listen, you can believe what I'm saying because the message I received, it actually came from God. It actually came from God. It actually came from God. Jesus came to me. Jesus revealed this. And you may be tempted to believe that, that this dude was influenced by this dude and he's just making things up and embellishing. You know, Thomas Jefferson looked at the, the founding father of America, looked at the apostle Paul and said, Paul by far is the most uh, corruptible person to the gospel of Jesus. Where Jesus had a gospel of just love your neighbor, be a good person. Paul ruined the gospel by just adding up his own stuff. Right? So Thomas Jefferson, our founding father, would look at anything that Apostle Paul wrote and throw it away. But here, here, here's what Paul is saying. You can't ignore what I'm saying because what I received, I didn't make up. It's from God. Two, second point, okay? Last point. The gospel should change you. The gospel needs to change you. The gospel, the good news that Jesus has died for your sins, that before eternity's past, God knew you, he loved you, he called you, he's chosen you, he has set you apart to be his son and his daughter. That news changes you. Where you begin to see how everything that you once loved, everything that you once looked to for security and comfort and ease, you now find in Jesus. Everything where you said, I'm going to do this for myself. I want this. I want this kind of life. I don't care what they're doing. I want this. I want this. I, I, I. Now becomes his kingdom come. His will be done. But my Lord would have me do. I, I submit to Jesus. I don't. See, listen, you guys want to know one of the most um, greatest marks of a Christian who's actually growing. You ready for this? Is that they become less centered on themselves. You guys ready for this? You ready? If you want to know whether or not the gospel of Jesus is changing you, are you becoming less selfish? Some of you here don't even know that you're selfish. You don't even know that it's constantly you putting yourself in every situation that benefits you. The way you argue with your parents, the way you get your way at school with your friends, the way that you constantly are judging situations based on what you can get out of it. Here's the theme. Me, me, me. But the Christian says him, him, him. Like John the Baptist, I must decrease and he must increase. Not my kingdom, but your kingdom.
See, listen, Paul here is an example of how the gospel changes us. And listen, the gospel can change you. The gospel can make you taking your life that's all about you and making it all about Christ and glorifying him. So with all this said, the question stands. Is the good news that Jesus died for your sins news that transforms and changes you? And if you can't see clear fruit of that, I wonder what you are believing, what you're actually resting in. Jesus says that you should remain in me and you will bear much fruit. And so what's funny is Paul talks about spiritual fruit too in Galatians 5. Does, that, does anyone here know the fruit of the Spirit? A few of them? In order, just a few, just name a few. Oh, okay, yeah. Let me ask you a question about those fruit of the Spirit really quick. Last thing, I promise. Does the fruit of the Spirit ever make sense outside of the context of relationships? If you're not in a relationship with other people, who are you going to be patient with? If you're not in a relationship with other Christians, who are you going to love? If you're not in a relationship with other people, who are you going to be kind to? Isn't that funny how all of the fruit of the Spirit and the ways in which we operate of how we demonstrate Jesus changed our life are really only demonstrable in the context of having other people in our life? The gospel that Paul received from God is a gospel that changes us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this opportunity to go through Galatians. And Father, I just ask that we would rest and trust in a message that isn't man-made, that isn't dependent on our good works or our cleverness, but it is dependent upon Jesus and what he has done. Help us to see Paul as an example of how the gospel exchanges our identity. It it takes out the false gods and it replaces the things that we used to worship with with the creator, with our savior, Jesus. Uh, Lord, I thank you for these students. I just pray a blessing over them. They would rest in Jesus. Oh, that they would see the importance of the local church, that they would understand that hearing the gospel is, in fact, the most important thing that they will ever hear in life. Help them to know that you have called them, you have chosen them, that before you even laid the foundations of the world, you were pleased to reveal your son to them. Help them to feel the weight of their sin. Pray also in Jesus' name. Amen.